All right, just humor me for one second. Just one second. Everyone on the count of three, we're just going to take a deep breath in. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, I needed that. I don't know about you, but I, I, I need that. Um, our life is just so always, always just so busy. It's just filled with hustle and bustle and just things to do. And maybe you had a busy week. Um, but you know what? It's good to be here. It's good to sit here in this building and have a heart open, ready to praise and worship God. It's good to be still. And um, you're going to have to forgive me. I don't have an introduction. I know that's kind of weird. I just, I don't. Um, I, I, I wrote stuff, and then I, I rewrote it, and I rewrote it, and nothing just sat well with me. It just didn't fit. And I know that's kind of weird and crazy, but uh, I just didn't, didn't come up with one. So we are going to pass an introduction a little bit, but I am going to say this about this morning. It's a good message. It's a good one. Not because I wrote it, not because of anything that I did. It's good because this account that comes from God's word, his preserved word, his inerrant and infallible word is awesome. It's, it's, a, it's an account about, about battling. It's an account about transformation and then blessings. It really is great. I was convicted as I, as I studied it and, and, and just read it and let it work through me. I, I, I had conviction and I just pray that this would be an encouragement to you as well. See, we're going to be looking at an Old Testament patriarch, Jacob, and we're going to be seeing how an unsuspecting encounter with a mysterious man forever changed him. It just did. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, I would invite you to open up to the book of Genesis. Those of you in the lobby, follow along with us. And those of you online, I would just invite you, if you have a Bible, open it up with us. Even if you haven't opened it in a while and you've got to shake the dust off your Bible, just, hey man, I haven't been familiar with you, but just grab it and follow along. That would be amazing. Uh, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to look at verses 22 to 31. So I'll give you a moment, but we're again, we're going to be in Genesis Chapter 32, going through 31. Starting at 22, it reads, That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabuk. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, please, tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Now, before we get into our first point, I want us to go back a little bit 
and just get some contextual uh, history into Jacob to see that we can understand his life, to understand who Jacob was. And the first thing that we got to know and understand is that Jacob came from a powerhouse family. His grandfather was Abraham, and his father was Isaac. I mean, wow, right? He comes from a powerhouse family. And he was the offspring of Isaac and Rebekah, but he was also the offspring of God's mercy and compassion because Rebekah was barren. Rebekah's womb was closed. She couldn't deliver a baby. She couldn't have a child. And it wasn't until Isaac finally prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, please, I just, could you help us? That the Lord answered and heard Isaac's prayer and granted his wish. His prayer was answered. And Rebekah not only gave birth to one child, but she had two. She had twins in her womb. And this was by God's grace and mercy that this happened. So Rebekah now had twins in her belly. And we read right away in Genesis 25, 22, that the children struggled inside her. So even from the beginning, even in the womb, there was struggle. Even in the womb and in the beginning, Jacob was wrestling. Now when he was born, he came out. His older brother was born first, so he saw it. But he came out and he was holding the heel of Esau. It's kind of freaky, kind of scary, but here he was. He was holding a heel. And this is what Jacob means. It means it's seized by the heel. Another name could be Jacob is a supplanter, which just means that it just takes the place of another by way of force or by scheming. And this name Jacob suits him very well. And it's kind of weird for me to talk about Jacob because my name is Jacob too. So it's just kind of interesting, kind of, kind of funny in that way. Uh, going into chapter 25, we see that, that Jacob uh, receives Esau's birthright, and he takes it, right? Here's Esau. He's out. He's hunting. He comes back. He's famished. He sees that Jacob is cooking, he, and he says, hey, give me some soup. And Jacob's like, yeah, well, give me your birthright. And he takes it. And it's an example uh, of Jacob's cunningness right there, right? Rather than Jacob just being like, yes, a loving brother here. You're famished. Take this. No, he says, I'll take your birthright instead. In chapter 27 of Genesis, uh, Jacob deceives his father Isaac, and he steals the blessing that was intended for Esau. And this makes Esau extremely angry. This makes him extremely angry at his brother. Now, for those of us that have siblings here, Jack, have you ever been extremely angry at any of your siblings? Like extremely angry? No? Oh, you're a good boy. Cora, was there ever a moment where you were kind of angry? Yes, right? Well, that, that's what this is. This is Esau so angry at Jacob that he plans to kill him. Oh, I'm so mad at you. You took my birthright. Now you stole my blessing. I'm going to come and get you now, Jacob. Well, Jacob is really afraid, and he knows he's got to leave. He's got to get out of Dodge. Right? So he goes, he, 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 he leaves, he stays 20 years with his uncle Laban, uh, and then there comes a time where Jacob knows that he's got to come back. All right? So in chapter 32, Jacob knows he's got to come back to his homeland, but he also knows that if he comes back to his homeland, he's going to have to deal with his brother. So he sends a message to his brother. Uh, the message comes back that Esau is going to come back and meet him, but guess what? He's coming back with 400 men. Wow. Okay. This leaves 
Jacob feeling extremely distressed and extremely fearful. So much so that in verse 11, Jacob prays to the Lord. And he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. That he may come after me and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered. And in verse 13, it says, so he stayed there the night. And it was kind of interesting last night as I was going through this, this struck me. We talked about Jacob coming from a powerhouse family of Abraham. Well, here's this prayer. And and at first I was like, yeah, this is a solemn prayer. But look at the faith in this prayer right here. He says, but you said, Lord, but you said. And then because he said, he stayed. Well, that's just like Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, hey, you have to go. I want you to leave. I want you to go to Canaan, pick up your stuff, leave. And so he does. That's faith. And this is faith right here from Jacob. But he wasn't always faithful like this. In chapter 28, he he makes a vow to God and he says, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Well, there's a difference there. There's a contrast. He opens up and he says, If God... If God will provide for me, protect me, and give me safely there, then the Lord shall be my God. Now, that's a totally different stance to take. The first time he says, but you said, Lord, so I'm going to go, I'm going to stay. And in this one, he says, oh, well, if you do this for me, then you'll be my God. And I hope you can see that contrast. And I hope you can understand it. There's people right now that today that take that stance. They take that stance with God. Well, God, if you do this for me, and if you provide this for me, then, Lord, okay, I'll worship you. God, if you allow this to happen, and you can fix and arrange this, then I'll believe in you, God. I won't believe in you just because I should believe in you because you are sovereign and you are holy. No, you got to do this for me. But that's what kind of Jacob kind of started. But then you ultimately see, because God said he stayed, that's faith. Now, this is where our lesson is going to start. We're going to see that Jacob is alone. He's fearful. His brother is coming to meet him. The last time he saw his brother, his brother wanted to kill him, and now he's coming back with 400 men. And we're going to start here. And before we go in, let's just quickly pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Christ, we come before you just grateful to be here uh, together, to open up our hearts and to be encouraged and to learn from your infallible word. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with me, that you would help me to be clear, that this message would be encouraging and insightful. Be with us, Father. Be with us always. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So as we dive into our first point, we're going to be looking at verse 23 to 24. And our first point is just simply alone with Christ. Now we see in 23, it says that he, that's Jacob, he took them, that's his family, and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. See, all of his scheming, all of Jacob's lies, all his manipulations, all his struggles, it led to this moment. 
And we realize here and we read in verse 24 that Jacob was left alone. He was alone. And this would make any one of us sitting here feel uneasy because we don't like to be alone and removed. We don't like to have our security taken away. Everything that Jacob had was gone. It was on the other side. His family, his loved ones, his possessions, his security, it's all over here. Jacob's over here. He's alone. And he's removed. And I know that we don't like that. We don't like that feeling of being removed like that. If we were in a crisis and our security is removed, we too would feel like Jacob, distressed, fearful. And this is where he's at. Jacob is in a moment of vulnerability here. But it's in this moment of vulnerability that God comes to Jacob to have a personal encounter with him that will change him forever. And we need to understand that God may do the same thing to us. God may remove our security from us. He may remove the things in our lives that make us feel safe, the things that make us feel comfortable. We may have to even be alone and removed so that he can deal with our hearts because it strips us. When we're stripped of everything that we have in our lives, then we're forced to deal with the issues. We're forced to deal with God. And this is exactly where Jacob is. Jacob is stripped. Now, as we continue to read in verse 24, uh, it says, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, there's some debates as to who this man is in this account. In Hosea 12.4, this account is brought up, and it mentions that Jacob strove with an angel. But I tend to think that the man in the account is God. And here's why. When I open my Bible and I read about this account, A, it says in the subheading, Jacob wrestles God. So there's one for me. In verse 28, uh, God says that, that he is striven with God. And then in verse 30, Jacob says that I have seen God face to face. So I, I believe and I tend to move in a direction that the, that the man in this account is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And he comes to Jacob in a state of crisis. Jacob is no longer alone. Remember, he was alone, removed. Well, he ain't alone anymore. He was intending to meet up with his brother Esau, but instead, Jacob gets something completely different. Instead of meeting up with Esau, Jacob gets God. Now, we got to notice also that the passage reads that a man wrestled with him. Now, this is not Jacob starting a wrestling match. Jacob did not instigate this wrestling match. God did. God came to Jacob when Jacob was not prepared to deal with him. Jacob didn't have time to deal with God. Jacob had other issues going on in his life. He was not prepared to deal with God. But God comes anyway. And God may come to us in times that we're not prepared to deal with. We may think sometimes, God, I can't deal with this right now. I can't deal with you right now, God. I got things going on right now, God. 
God, I, I, I was planning on doing this. I've got issues I've got to take care of over here, God. God, I can't deal with you. I don't have time for you, God. God, I can't lose my job right now, God. God, I can't be sick right now, God. God, I can't lose my loved ones right now, God. God, I can't be removed right now, God. It's not the right time. I'm not prepared to deal with you, God. But we need to understand something. If God comes and intervenes in our lives, even if we're not prepared for it, there's a reason. If God comes to us, there's a purpose. And while it may not be the right time in our lives, it's always the right time for God. For Jacob, this was not the right time to have a godly intervention. But for God, it was the perfect time to start a wrestling match with his servant. Now, as we speak about wrestling, I don't know how many of you have ever wrestled or have ever been in kind of combat, but I can tell you that wrestling is honestly probably one of the hardest sports there is. It's flesh against flesh. Take your hands and you can push against each other and try to do that for five. You get exhausted, let alone fighting another person. I mean, you have to be in great cardio shape in order to battle and wrestle. And I just want to kind of give you some, some perspective and some insight because this will help you to understand the severity of what's going on in this, in, in, in this context here in this scripture. So I used, to, I used to wrestle and I used to fight. And, I, and I'm not trying to bring up my glory days. Again, I, I don't. I'm not. But I just want to give you some insight as to what it took for me in order to get the cardiovascular conditioning to be able to sustain in a battle for maybe 15 minutes. This is what my coach did for me. All right, so if I wanted to get my, my, my breathing better and to be able to, to utilize my wind, of course, I had to learn how to suck wind, right? So my coach would make, go to take me over to Rock Cut and make me run up and down a hill. Okay, Jake, no big deal. You ran up and down a hill. Fabulous. Well, that wasn't it. See, I had to wear this mask. It was like a gas mask almost. And what it did was it restricted my breathing in such a way that I couldn't take a deep breath. It wasn't like I could run up this hill and my heart is pounding and I'm like, oh, that was good, that was refreshing, I needed that air. That wasn't how it was. It was more like this. That's how much air I had to take in and struggle to get air in. And remember, I'm running up this hill, my heart is pounding, I need oxygen, and if I wanted it, I had to do this. That's what it was. Over and over and up and down, I ran up this hill, but I learned how to utilize the air that I had. I didn't have the luxury of just being like, there we go. And in battle, you don't have that luxury either. Another technique that he did, and this is the last one, uh, was extremely brutal for me. So I would go in a cage. um, I would fight five rounds, each being three minutes a round. Okay, 15-minute round, Jake, no big deal. But, of course, my coach always had a little, little trick up his sleeve. I would fight my three minutes, but each minute or each round that would pass by, he would send in a fresh new fighter. So, round one, I would go in. Not a big deal. I'd move and groove. We'd box. We'd mix it up. Okay, that round was over. I had 30 seconds to breathe some air in. Oh, I'm thankful I had that training of that oxygen mask because then I was able to get more air in that 30 seconds than I was running up and down that hill. But round two came in, a fresh new fighter. So round two, I would go in. Okay, I'm a little bit tired now, 
But here comes this fresh guy. He ain't tired. He didn't do anything. He was just laughing and waiting to come in and attack me. Round two was over. 30 seconds was up. I took my, my breaths. Go back in for round three. Fresh new fighter. Okay, now this was different. Now I'm tired. I'm getting really winded here. Round three, I took a lot of shots. Round three, my hands started getting tired. My arms went down. I'm taking hits. I'm taking hits. I'm getting slammed. Okay, round three was over. I made it. Fabulous. Good. Rest. 30 seconds. Back into round four. Guess what? Fresh new fighter. Well, round four was brutal. Round four for me was the mental training it took to fight because that's where I got beat up. I was exhausted. And that fresh new fighter knew it. And he came in and he had no mercy on me. Why would he? He wanted me to be trained, right? You got to know how to fight. You got to be able to know how to have composure in a battle. So he came at me. Round four was all about mental toughness. What was I going to do? Surrender or keep battling? That round was over. Round five, I am wiped out. Guess what? Fresh new fighter. Oh, and he loved it. He loved it. Round five was just all about survival for me. That's about it. And sometimes in battle, that's what it is. It's about surviving. Well, Jacob didn't sit there and have this training. Jacob didn't have a coach to coach him through this battle that he was going to have with God. And this battle that Jacob battled wasn't 15 minutes. It was all night. All night. Hour upon hour upon hour. Just constantly battling. And you've got to understand, this is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to battle for two minutes, giving you everything that you've got. You get wiped out, and here's Jacob is wrestling with God all hours throughout the whole entire night. I mean, I hope you get an appreciation of the showdown that was happening right here. This is the ultimate game of chess right here, physical chess, lasting hours upon hours. I mean, can you imagine this? Could you imagine what this, what this might have looked like? Pre-incarnate Jesus Christ wrestling with Jacob? I mean, this is a battle of the ages right here. We talk about pay-per-view and these battles that happen. Well, no, this is, surpasses that. This is God-man versus man. And Jacob endures all night battling with God. And all night he struggles with God. So, when we think of being alone with God, sometimes we may think of a peaceful thing, like it's a peaceful thing, right? We're going to wake up, we're going to grab our Bibles, we're going to take it in the morning, maybe perhaps you're a morning reader, maybe you're an evening reader, I'm not sure, hopefully you're a reader, but you're going to take your Bible and you're going to open it up and you're going you're gonna to find a nice favorite place where you like to sit, maybe by the window where the sun is coming at you. You put on some soft music perhaps. Perhaps maybe you get some coffee and you've got your coffee and you're alone and you open up the scriptures and you go to God. You may think that. But what happens instead of us going to God? What happens when God comes to us? What happens then? And what happens not only that he comes to us, but what happens when he comes to battle us? What happens then? Now, I'm not talking about God coming down into our life to physically wrestle us. 
I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about him coming and pulling and slamming us the way that that happened with Jacob here. I'm talking about figuratively here. What if God comes into our lives? Again, maybe possibly in a moment we're not dealt to prepare for. And he comes to physically pull us and slam us to change the course of our lives, to change the course of our heart, to change the course of our thinking. Are we okay with this? Are we going to be okay with that? I mean, there may be stones in our hearts that need to be broken up. And if God comes figuratively into our lives to wrestle and to tangle with us, to break up those those stones, we need to remember that there's a purpose. There is a reason why he came. Can we handle the godly wrestling match in our hearts and in our minds? He may come to try to convict us, to change. And we need to remember that we don't wrestle against the flesh and the blood, but we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil. So if God's coming into your heart and he's pricking you to make a change, he's trying to get you to make a spiritual change here, to fight, to fight the the, the flesh, to fight the desires of the flesh, but instead to, to continue to strengthen you, to walk in the light, to walk in the spirit. That's what he's trying to do. And if anyone here is sitting here and they're battling and they're wrestling God in their heart concerning a heartful issue, be thankful. Be thankful that God is coming. Be thankful that God is working and pricking and slamming your heart because it means that he's near. It means he's near you. He's pricking at you. He's trying to make a change in you and in your heart. And that in itself is such a blessing. Moving to our second point. Our second point is blessing through crippling. Blessing through crippling. The scripture says that when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now God and man has been wrestling all night, and we see that the Lord did not prevail against Jacob, so so the Lord touched his hip and put it out of the joint. And maybe we're questioning, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? Does this mean that Christ couldn't defeat Jacob? Is that what this means? No. It doesn't. Does this mean that man in his own strength can can be a match for God? That man can fight and sustain against God? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. See, the Lord in all his sovereignty could have taken Jacob and destroyed him in an instant. If God wanted to, God could have called down angels to have Jacob pulled off him. But he doesn't. If God wanted to, God could have snapped his fingers and taken Jacob's life, and Jacob could have just fallen, bam, passed out, right there, done, gone, battle over. But God doesn't. uh, Jesus probably could have had the earth just open up, and, and, and Jacob could have just been swallowed into the earth. 
But God doesn't do that. See, the Lord in his grace and his mercy allows us time to wrestle through the issues in our hearts in order that we finally come to a breaking point of a decision, a point where we're finally ready to submit. The Lord could have just made up Jacob's mind right there. The Lord could have just made up our minds for us, right? You're going to do this, 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 you're going to do this. I just made up your mind, go. But he doesn't do that because where would the surrender be? Where would the surrender be? And rather than forcing Jacob to change, the Lord toils with him. And he allows Jacob to fight and exert himself in his own strength until finally the fight had to come to an end. The Lord touches Jacob on his hip and he puts it out of joint. And it's an extremely humbling moment for Jacob. Now, having a hip out of its socket or out of a joint is an extremely painful feeling and it leaves you feeling crippled. If our hip is out of joint, we can't move the way that we normally move, right? We can't run. We can't walk. We can't pivot. We can't turn. We can't stand. We can't balance properly. Our hip is out of joint. And we were feeling left crippled and unstable. And Jacob, with one touch of God's hand on his hip, is now feeling the same feeling of unstableness and crippling pain. And it's at this moment where Jacob must have realized, oh man, I'm not wrestling a man anymore here. What is this? Who with one touch of a hand can implode this power on me, could could knock my hip out of joint? Now to take a, 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 a joint and knock it out of a socket takes a large amount of force. Maybe a fall, maybe a crash just slams against you and that joint is out of place. But this was not a a crash. This was not a fall. This was a mere touch. This was a touch. And Jacob is left feeling crippled, and he's in trouble. I mean, this is warfare here. And this may have started off as a wrestling match, but now with his hip out of joint, this is warfare. And God uses his divine power to put Jacob out of commission. We sit there and we see that Jacob held on to God. And, and I want you to understand, I don't know if you guys watch boxing, but sometimes in boxing matches, not sometimes, generally all the time you can watch this in a boxing match, but when a boxer gets in trouble and he's getting pummeled, what does he do? He grabs on and he holds on to the other opponent. It just gives him a moment of clarity. It gives him a moment to regroup and resettle in, maybe a moment to catch his breath. It's a way to just get back stamina. And this is exactly what Jacob does. He clings on to and he holds on to God. So God, in his sovereign manner, he may wound us. He may wound us in order to sift us, to keep us from becoming something that we shouldn't. And I want you to think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in his side to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations that Paul saw. And three times, Paul prays to the Lord to have this thorn removed from him. But the Lord says no. Instead, God says that my grace 
is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say that he's content with weakness because as in 2 Corinthians 12.10 reads, for, I, for when I am weak, you guys know it? Then I am strong. Amen. So God may come at us and he may cut away at us on the threshing floor of mercy to strip us, to sift us, to refine us. The struggles that we endure may cripple us. They may even wound us. And we may feel weak. But when we hold on to God, then we're strong. We're strong because his grace is sufficient for us. We may feel like we're limping through life right now. We may feel like we're just hurt right now. And even though we limp now, we'll dance later. God's grace is sufficient. And when the daylight begins to break, Christ says, let me go. But Jacob refuses to let go of Christ. In fact, we read here that Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And Jacob here has been wrestling in his own strength all night to get a blessing from God. But we need to remember that Jacob was already blessed by God. Jacob wanted something that he already had. He just misses it. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15. I want you to follow along with me because I want you to see it. Genesis 28, 13 through 15. 13 reads, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Blessing, blessing. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread about to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Blessings. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Here we go. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Blessings. And will bring you back to where I've promised you. Right? There's a blessing of deliverance right there. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Blessings, 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 blessings. Jacob misses all these blessings. In fact, when Jacob wakes up from this dream, because this is God coming to Jacob through a dream, Jacob wakes up and he says in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. How often is this the case with us? How often? We forget that God is with us. We forget sometimes that God is working to bring about his purpose in our lives. And we may wrestle with the thought, God, why won't you answer my prayers right now? God, why won't you bless me right now? God, why aren't you receiving my prayers? Why aren't I receiving these blessings? Father, bless me. Why aren't I getting it? Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that those of us who have accepted Christ, man, we are blessed. 
Ephesians 1.3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're blessed. We may not get the answered prayer of immediate blessings right then and there, but we already have something. We have something great already. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And as we continue through the verse, and I love reading this, Jacob says, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. Jacob is hurt. Jacob is crippled. He's wounded, but he won't let go. He clings on to, and he holds on to Christ, and he doesn't relinquish his grit. He holds on tightly to him. What are we holding on to? What are we clinging on to tightly in our walk and in our life? Is it God? Or is it something else? Are we saying in our hearts and in our minds, God, I will not let you go. God, I'm going to hold on to you tightly. When we're in the fire, when we're in the struggle, when we're in it, when we're deep in it, are we holding on to God? Or are we holding on to something else? It's in great times of hurt and pain and in struggle that when we hold on to our precious Father, that we will receive blessings. We may not understand why we have to go through the hardships. We may not understand the pulls and the slams that we endure, but if we cling on to God, it will produce blessings in our lives. Let us learn from this from Jacob. In every aspect of our lives, we must say, God, I will not let you go. If we suffer through crippling struggles and we have to go through it all night, don't let go. If our our life seems bleak right now, don't let go. If we just can't see the light, it's just dark all around us and we can't see the light, don't let go. When pain is high, and sorrow is deep, don't let go. When we're weary from our walk, and we're just exhausted, and we're tired of doing good, don't let go. Cling on to him and say, I will not let you go, because there's blessings. Blessings on the other side. There's blessings when we're crippled for Christ. We're going to move to our last point. Our last point is blessings through change. Blessings through change. And as we continue forward, we enter into our last point. And, and this, is, this is God here who has the power to take someone from where they once were and bring them and transform them into something completely different. And we'll see that God's blessing through change and that's, that's why I just have this as, as the last point here. Blessings through change. I mean, God and Jacob have been wrestling all night, and we've seen that it's, it's time to stop. God says, it's time to stop. We're done wrestling. And instead of fighting, now a conversation takes place. 
God says to Jacob in verse 27, he says, what's your name? And Jacob answers, Jacob. And it's at this point that Jacob has to admit to God who he is. He confesses, I'm Jacob. Which is basically saying, I'm a schemer. I, I make my way through cunningness, through my own, my own workings. I'm Jacob the heel grabber. I'm Jacob the blessing stealer. I'm Jacob the negotiator. Everything that Jacob was, was put on the table by him saying, I'm Jacob. And then God, by his grace and mercy, says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. See, by God's grace and by God's mercy, he transforms Jacob and changes his name to Israel. And only God can do this. Only God can make this type of a transformation. See, we live in a time period where people go to great lengths to transform who they are on the outside. We see people who they can change their their hairstyle, they can change their hair color, they can legally change their names, they can even have surgery to transform what they look like on the outside. But we need to remember that this is an outward transformation. When God comes to transform, his transformation is an inward transformation. God changed Jacob's Jacob's name, and he also transforms Jacob's heart. Jacob is no longer the schemer, the heel grabber, the the manipulator, or the negotiator. God transforms Jacob and changes his name to Israel. Jacob goes from the supplanter to the one who strives with God, or the prince of God. And that's what Israel means. And we've got to remember that, that Jacob wasn't the only one who was transformed this way. Remember in Genesis 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. God takes Sarai and he changes it to Sarah. There's that little transformation there. And what about the transformation that God does with Paul? Remember Paul? He was on the road to Damascus. A bright light comes and shines down upon him. And God says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's in that moment of intervention that God transforms Saul's heart. Paul was a terror for the Christian faith, but instead now he's transformed to becoming the great protector of the faith. And we've got to ask ourselves, God, why do you do this? Why do you do this? And it's because when God comes and when God transforms, he's trying to make a change in someone's life direction. Or he's trying to make a change in their calling. When God intervenes, he has the power to to completely change a person's life. He takes somebody from where they once were, and he transforms them and puts them into a, a different direction. He transforms their calling. It's beautiful. It's life changing. He's changed my life from where I stood in the beginning of, of, of my life to where I stand now, it's completely transformed. What about you? How has God transformed your life? Where were you? How were you before Christ came into you? And how is he still working in our hearts now? He's still transforming us. 2 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That the old has passed away. 
And behold, the new has come. And this is all the doing of God and nobody else. Jacob is no longer Jacob. Paul is no longer the persecutor. And we are no longer who we once were. Our identity of who we once were doesn't hold us down anymore because God has transformed us from the inside. It wasn't an outward transformation. It was an inward transformation. And when we accepted Christ, we changed from being a child of wrath to now becoming an ambassador of Christ. That sounds pretty good to me. Child of wrath to now become an ambassador. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We have that blessing. Now, no human transformation could match the transformation that God can bring about in our lives. Nothing. Only God can do this. And we need to understand that we win by losing. We win by losing. When we surrender to him and we surrender to his words and his promises, it's then that we become blessed. It's then that we win by losing. John 3.30 says that he must increase, but I, but we must decrease. If we want the blessings, that's what we're going to have to do daily. We have to die to ourselves. Daily, we need to pick up our cross for him, and we have to allow him to be great, not us. Not us. We can't struggle through this world and think that we are so good, that we are great. We're not good. There is no one good. He's good. We must decrease. And in our hearts, he must increase. I had this at the end of the, my message, but I, I'm going I'm to go to it right now. Spurgeon, quote from him. He says, we are Jacob before we are Israel, and we are Jacob when we are Israel. But blessed be God, we are Israel's with God when we cease to be Jacob's among men. Don't, don't be caught up in you. We're not that great. Compared to what he's done for us in the love, his steadfast love and mercy, that's great. That's good. We're not good. We're recipients of his goodness. Let us remember this so that we are not Jacob's among men. Let us become Israel's. We're going to move to our conclusion. And we'll see that sometimes being alone with Christ has taken a different form than a peaceful moment in our, in our lives. Sometimes being alone in Christ has a different, a different picture. And there may be times when God comes into our lives to strip us, to wound us, in order to get our full attention. We live in a world so full of distractions. It's so easy to get caught up in our hustle and bustle. And you know what? It's really hard to be alone. It's really hard. Nowadays, to be alone, you've got to kind of work for it. 
get buzzing in our phones. Maybe sometimes we run to the bathroom to be alone and we shut the door, but maybe our kids come, hey, mom, hey, dad, and you're like, man, I just want to be alone. Why can't I just be alone? It's hard to be alone. Sometimes when we're alone and Christ comes, he may come to come prick your heart. Again, if he does and we're not prepared for it, there's a reason. There's a purpose. There may be stones in your heart that he's trying to break up. And if we're suffering, if we're going through it, and it's hard, and we have pain and sorrow in our heart, or we just have physical pain, hold on to him. Cling on to him. Let us continue to lean and to trust on our Heavenly Father. There may be some wrestling right now, listening online on whether or not God is, is the right choice for them. There may be some kids here that are like, well, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know. Maybe you're wrestling with that. Keep wrestling. Keep allowing him to work in your heart because there are blessings to come when you fully accept him and you surrender. Remember, we win by losing. I lived a life of, of me. There's, there's nothing good. Not until I surrendered, Right? So for us who have accepted Christ, let us continue to press forward. Let us continue to move towards Christ so that we can continue to receive his blessings. Remember, and let's not forget that we are already blessed. So even though we may not receive that immediate answered prayer, don't forget that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing under the heavens. We may be convicted to make changes in our lives. We may be wrestling with different issues in our hearts, but hold on to him and say, don't let go. I will not let you go, Lord. Hold on to him. Because there is blessings when we lose and we'll win when he transforms our heart. And this is what he did for Jacob. Jacob now will have a forever and ever reminder of the time he wrestled with God and was humbled by God when he, God took his hip and put it out of socket. And the verse finishes off that he humbly, he limps as he enters Peniel. Remember, we may limp now, but we'll dance later, brothers and sisters. We'll dance later. Let's bow our head in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful. Grateful that, uh, Father, you come at us because it means that you're near us. Even if there's times where you come and you prick us to make a change and we don't want to make that change, when there's times where you remove us from our security, from our comfort, because it's for our own good, Lord, I invite you to keep coming at us, keep pulling at us, keep slamming us, Father, because there's a purpose. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here wrestling with the idea of whether or not to let you in their heart, Father, I pray that they would surrender to you, that they would take you in because there is winning through losing. Father, we're grateful that we can come to you on this day, grateful that we can call you Father, Grateful for the transformation that you have done in our hearts. 
May we be encouraged by this message and understand that there's blessings through crippling and there's blessings through change. Thank you, Father, for your steadfast love and mercy. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.